Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You're listening to episode 156, and tonight we are covering the top five disappointing movies. Um, I would say the most subjective list that we've done so far. It'll involve, uh, you know, Frank uh, kind of going through what makes these movies such disappointment to him personally. So... Frank, how was it watching uh, these disappointing movies all over again? Um, maybe less disappointing than I thought it would be. Hmm. Um, Did you find something you should like better? I think that watching something that's really disappointing to you and having the disappointment like being past the initial shock of like disappointment i guess if that makes sense Mm -hmm. makes it a lot easier kind of to digest a movie just as a movie so you don't have the same like i don't know like terrible feeling of like the wind being like pushed from your sails kind of sure the expectation is gone at that point so you might be able to reassess it without that expectation um yeah i mean we i mean it's happened a number of times throughout my life i'm sure yours but i i remember very specifically a few years ago re-watching lost and us talking about how the ending to us wasn't quite the gut punch i guess um as it was initially that in hindsight like once your once your fantasies once your expectations are like all out of the way like it's it's a fine ending and it's not like shouldn't be as reviled as it is probably <clears throat> yeah yeah i guess that's true um i mean i'll be honest like i still didn't really enjoy any of these movies <laughs> mm-hmm. um but some of these movies i was i really hated <clears throat> the first time i saw them and i guess maybe maybe my hatred isn't quite so uh i don't know quite quite so strong mm-hmm. um there were some things that like i thought about you know we always go over like is there anything that almost made the list mm-hmm. um the first thing that came to mind for me was uh watchmen um mm. which i was really excited for like a big screen adaptation of um the comic because i'm a really big fan of the alan moore comic from the um i guess late 80s early 90s late 80s i suppose um and i really hate the Zack snyder version of it um, I don't know that I expected it to be good, but I didn't expect it to be as like egregiously bad as it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've talked about this before, but a lot of disappointment in the Lord of the Rings movies, um, in particular, um, just choices they made in characterization and ways they chose to kind of take the story that didn't really make much sense to me. What else would I say? Uh, We've talked I think previously the, about Phantom Menace, too. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I think the prequels to the Star Wars franchise, and even some of the sequels to an extent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, both just sort of disappointing. Um, Phantom Menace in particular, because I think that all of us expected so much from that, and just to be kind of like let down by the movie as, as much as we were, where mm-hmm. we're just... Like, one of those things where you're still kind of like grasping after the movie to... yes to find something to say good about it because you want to enjoy it so much and yet like the further you get away from it the more you realize like how much you didn't like it 
Yeah, I told that story. You know, Ryan told that story on the our defunct sister podcast, the best thirty minutes about yeah. trying trying to like figure out ways that it was good on the way home, and by the time we got home from the theater, like we had realized that Phantom Menace was just not good. Yeah. Um, should I just had one when you said that? Oh, uh, Death Proof was really disappointing to me. Hmm. Um, was so so excited to go in and watch like a tarantino take on like the grindhouse you know slasher genre and just so much of that movie i just hate so much um there's a couple of what i think are okay scenes in it um and i think a good performance by russell but everything else in that movie is just really disappointing to me probably doesn't make you feel any better but i was reading the other day that tarantino is pretty disappointed with himself so that actually makes me feel a lot better yeah um because for a long time it's one of those things where I'm trying to think of a good example of this. I was reading something the other day where an artist was kind of defending a work of theirs and was making all these points. And I was thinking like, yeah, but you're just wrong. Like, it's just not good. Just leave it be. Yeah. Um, Tarantino uh, said that it's his, well, you know how Tarantino is. He said it's his worst movie um, without a doubt, but there's still a lot of things he's proud about. And if that's his worst, he's still in a pretty good shape. I don't think it's his worst movie. Hmm. Honestly. He thinks it's his worst, definitely. I wonder if he's seen The Hateful Eight. Because that's pretty bad. <laughs> he's just thinking he just didn't, re- didn't watch it. He's Maybe he gonna... hasn't watched it again. Maybe he should sit down and watch it, and then he'll realize. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's always something that, like, you get all excited for. And then, um, you know what's really disappointing to me? And this is going to sound ridiculous. Stargate was really disappointing to me hmm. Why is that? like i went into stargate thinking like so excited to see this like big screen big, big budget sci-fi action movie with these like egyptian god like undertones and stuff and man that movie's just trash like i i think i laughed for like a half hour of the slow motion helmet roll of the <laughs> one um Right, I, I I can't think of an appropriate word like in, in indigenous child that they kind of co-opt to be part of their team, and then he gets killed and like his helmet's rolling in slow motion down the ramp to the Stargate and like me and my friends like like laughed out loud in the theater and like all these people are like absorbing I guess this you know heartbreaking moment and we're just laughing right right yeah um, it's 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 yeah it's, it's another it, one when you watch it now I don't think it's it's a it's a fine sci-fi kind of. I'll accent. never I'll never watch it again. No, no, it it was just. Terrible. I've seen it in the past ten years and it was fine. Eh. Um, here's another one too that was really disappointing to me and was a surprise was um, uh, Thin Red Line is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Malick movie. Malick movie, yeah. Um, so hyped to go see a new Terrence Malick movie in the theater and just like absolutely disappointed in that movie that makes sense so you never told me that you were dis. i don't think you ever mentioned that you were disappointed i just know that you really disliked that movie i was really let down by it because mm-hmm. with the star power in it you know all the actors the really great cast um the previews were amazing um you know love terrence malick and just i don't know man it's just it's, it's way too long and it's way too like gray and green and it's just all these pregnant pauses like carried out throughout like multiple scenes and it just never ends like I, i'm not a fan of that movie yeah at all 
Um, oh, here's another. This is the last one, and then we can move on to the list. This is more recent. Is um everybody wants some? Um, the uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Link Linklater movie. Okay. That was supposed to be almost like a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, but oh, set right. in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt had absolutely none of the charm and um nostalgia that Dazed and Confused has to me. Um, mm-hmm. and I love Dazed and Confused, and I felt that everybody everybody wants some was um kind of tone deaf and not at all relatable. I guess I don't know. Yeah, hard. It's hard to explain. I, I think that maybe setting, making the cast, popular handsome jocks, almost being like Revenge of the Nerds, but in like, like in reverse, where yeah. like, you know, the 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 dudes that are beating up the nerds are like your main characters. Like it's just kind of. I don't know. I mean, I guess there's some people that can relate to that, but I think everybody has some like real awkwardness from their teenage to young adult years, and it's like that movie doesn't necessarily do a good job of illustrating it. So, so yeah, there's yeah, there's I I I didn't think about it myself, but a couple of things come to mind for me, which is uh, Kingdom of Crystal Skull. I think is one of my larger disappointments. Um, sitting in a theater. Uh, we talked about that, I guess, with Easter last year. Yeah. Um, I I was tentatively excited, even though I kind of knew I shouldn't have been. Yeah. Probably, and I was still like internally holding out this hope, and then it just like fulfilled all of my worst fears, and that that was a really disappointing movie another one that popped into my mind is uh once upon a time in mexico oh my god <laughs> you're all right yeah you got me you're all right you got me all choked up you with that <laughs> you're <laughs> you dying i'm 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 alive okay uh yeah that's a really good one that's absolutely true yeah that was that was a really bad feeling um sitting in that theater um doesn't rank really high it might make my top 10 but i i was i really liked the first two x-men movies and when we, when we went to go see the third x-men movie um in the theater that was really disappointing because it was just like the quality really dipped um that's you mean all, the original that, three x-men movies yeah 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 that's the one with like phoenix and like dark phoenix and stuff like Do you that. think it's because you just said like I think so. I really loved the first X Men movie too when I saw it, and I really dislike that movie today. I don't dislike it. I just think that like we've come so far in terms of like what a superhero movie is. Agreed. That that movie just doesn't stand up anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that wasn't what was happening anyway. Is like you were just learning that there was better ways that superhero movies could be made. Very so, possible. Yeah. You know, you just can't really accept it anymore. Yeah, um, certainly that movie made me end, end up, I think, reassessing the first two. So, um, but yeah, but the, but the, it, those movies at least were to a certain quality, even if they are kind of non-factors nowadays. Um, and that movie was just the shits. <laughs> it was just awful um, from pretty much every way. 
Uh, but yeah, those those are just the ones I thought of just while you were talking sitting here. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that like as we talk, I'll think of more. Right. Um, when I first made this list, these were. I think I made this list in like 10 minutes. I mean, I just sat there and just kind of thought and like these were ones that immediately like hit. Right. There's other stuff too. So like the third Harry Potter movie we're both not fans of and mm -hmm. as much as I kind of find them to be like sort of overlong, like I like the Chris Columbus ones mm -hmm. um, and I'm just not a big fan of like the jarring almost like sea change in terms of yeah um, directorial style and tone of that third movie. Um yeah, agreed. And there's weird things too, like Eraser and Last Action Hero, mm -hmm. and um, you know, like Terminator Three, and I, I don't know. There, like, so many things where you think, like, man, this movie's going to be great, and you're just kind of bummed because it didn't live up to your expectations. Like when you when you walked yeah. out of the theater, and yeah, maybe I'm not so egregious that you're disappointed, but you're definitely like not as elated as you felt like you could be in watching what, it what's fascinating to me and this will be the last thing i, I want to ask you maybe before we move, move into the list is so many of these movies all these movies come in the well no not all of them one they all come in the last 20 years four four of them come in the last decade um you still I feel like you still have a lot of optimism to you compared to me and that you still get really excited much more than I do. Um, where it's like, I think a lot of my examples are pretty far back. Um, like, I think I started losing hope a lot more and that that's a personality thing, I guess, probably. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty like, uh, fascinating is not the right word. Um, <laughs> It's pretty uh like endearing in some ways that you still hold out like such hope to me um for for how good movies are going to be and that you're still disappointed after all these years I mean, of watching movies let's reference something else that's been slightly disappointing to me which is the sandman television series hmm. um there's a great scene that i don't think is done very well in the show but um in the comics where morpheus the sandman descends into hell to get a piece of his like regalia back and has this contest um, with the devil, where or with Lucifer, um, where they name something, and then the other person has to kind of like rock paper scissors them by naming something that could beat that thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the Lucifer's like, I am a um, fuck. What does he say? Like, I am a supernova, like galaxy destroying, or I am anti-life, like galaxy destroying, energy consuming, whatever. Um, and then Morpheus is like, I am hope, and that's it. So, you know, it's kind of like that. Like, you're Lucifer, <laughs> you know, with your, like, doom and gloom. I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, where the fuck is he going with this? And right. then it's like, oh. It's right. a good punchline if you've seen the show or read the comic. Right. Um, or I didn't see how you're going to tie it into this. So it's like, okay. But gotcha. I'm the master of the tie-in. <laughs> um, but it's like that. Like, like, why go on if you don't have hope that things are going to be better? You know, like i live i guess is my question i guess so, i don't what, what it is is like i have hope that things will be good i just don't get so hopeful right you don't allow yourself to have expectations for anything to be yes 
play good and i just allow myself to expect yeah. everything to be good and while right. i'm disappointed you know from time to time like when something's really good like you feel great about it you know yeah you know what i was I thinking am. about the other day as the kind of um the reverse of this topic yeah. that movie the kid detective which mm -hmm. i had no expectations for right and ended up thinking was like amazing and one of my favorite movies of last year and it's like that you know what i mean right. like you'll find things every once in a while that are just these amazing like gems um and it just like it kind of elevates like your spirit sure. or, like you know not that not that i look i there are things i get to some degree excited over it's just a level of excitement that i think is uh muted um but that's my whole life though yeah. some degree is the kid detective so it's like you know it's, it's 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 like a it's like a scale right like i mean like i i think i end up like also like you know finding things that i think oh i'm really surprised by this and i'm like you know really happy that i saw this because i don't have any expectations yeah. um and i'm trying to strip that out anymore by not even reading like a synopsis like you know if you tell me to watch a movie i just watch it like <laughs> I don't even I don't like, even read what it's about. I have really high expectations for this new Hellraiser movie mm. coming out on Hulu in a couple months. Mm -hmm. You know what? Probably going to be trash. But <laughs> at the same time, like I think it's going to be great. I'm super confident that they're going to capture the spirit and tone of the original in a modern like remaking. So, oh, Godspeed. Okay, you made <laughs> me think. You kind of made me think that prey wouldn't be that great and i really enjoyed prey i was really pleasant well maybe surprised. what happened though is i lowered the expectations for you to some degree no my expectations stayed the same okay i don't expect you to like movies like that ever just so you yeah, know so right. <sighs> all right um let's jump into this number <laughs> five on your list is wolf creek 2 from 2013 is directed by Greg McLean, which directed, who also directed first Wolf Creek, it stars John Jarrett, Ryan Core, Philippe Klaus, and Shannon Ashland. It has fifty percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a thirty-nine percent from audiences. So it's about right. What? Yeah. No, absolutely. You want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh, what made it so disappointing to you? So let me do the reverse of that and talk about why I had expectations for it. Sure. Like, I don't mean to change up your format, but I was just thinking that that might be the better way to introduce them. It's your world, man. <laughs> so it is my world. Um, so I love the first Wolf Creek and was completely taken by surprise by it. Um, had no expectations for it whatsoever walking into it. Um, I actually think it was one of those movies where I was working at the movie theater at the time and just kind of like wandered into the auditorium to watch it because we were slow one day. Um, and ended up like staying like later and watching the entire movie because I saw like a portion of it. Um, it's a little bit of a slow burn. And I know that you and I kind of disagree with like the first part of that movie. But I love the fact that like it's ominous in the fact that you know you're watching a horror movie. But it's so like banal like watching these people just like have this little outback adventure together until it just all turns to shit. Um, I think that uh, Jarrett jared 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 yeah um john jared who's a pretty famous australian actor who plays the um the vi the villain in wolf creek uh, mick taylor kind of comes out of nowhere he's <clears throat> he's got like that menace of like someone like michael myers or jason but he's got a humanity to him um which makes him even more like scary mm -hmm. I think that the torture aspects and the violence of that movie is believable. 
Um, there's nothing like over the top really or anything. I mean, it's over the top in the sense that it's incredibly gory, but it's really reined in in the sense that it's all believable, like violence. Yeah. Um, and they never make him so powerful or whatever that you can't believe that this is just a guy who's really good at surviving in a bad environment, face facing kids basically that have no ability to survive outside of like the modern world and have convinced themselves that there's some kind of like world adventurers or whatever yeah he's not superhuman or supernatural in any way so i thought it was i think it's really well directed i think it's actually pretty beautiful at times in terms of the cinematography i really enjoy the performances in it and i think it's pretty taut paced for the last like 35 40 minutes and really like it's just like constant like tension like building upon itself right so, so let me just fairly quickly publicly go on the record with you is have i, I watched wolf creek again before watching wolf creek 2 which i never seen um the opening i still don't understand why you're spending so much time with those characters but it doesn't take as long as i remember it taking um as as long as it felt in the theater and right. i have but it bothered me less so I actually, I actually thought a lot about this watching Wolf Creek too, because I think because I really enjoy Wolf Creek and you have like a, like such a problem, like over the course of our friendship with like both watching this movie at the beginning of the movie, I think one of the reasons is because it's a really personal story to them, um, especially uh, what's his name? The director mm -hmm. uh, McLean because of the, um, the Outback backpacker murders from like the late nineties. Right. So I think that was the thing is like building this because, and this is something that I'll get into when we talk about Wolf Creek too, but I think there's a certain amount of interstitial like xenophobic hate in Australians for people that come in just to like experience the ruggedness of the outback and, you know, like tromp around. Right in the wilderness and pretend like they're backpackers and they're rugged and then go back to their, you know, like get on a plane and fly back to whatever country they come from. Um, and I think that that's part of like the character of um, Mick is the fact that he's like the physical embodiment of that underlying, like kind of hatred of yes. the people that are quoting crocodile Dundee and stomping around the brush in their Burke stocks you know what i mean yeah and actually it's much more i think subtle in the first one where they beat you over the head with them. right and but, again but, one of my problems with the yeah. second movie but we'll get but to that. i just wanted to i just want to say i'm going to stop talking about that movie because overall i really enjoyed wolf creek in the yeah. second half i really <laughs> i i really enjoyed it and and the first half didn't bother me as much so it's it's a good movie did you trim 15 minutes off the first half short you know what yeah, I mean? Make sure. it 30 minutes instead of 45 minutes right. and yeah. spend less time with them, like just kind of meandering about. It's a yeah. much tauter, tighter movie in that respect. Yeah. The second movie is not as bad as I remember it being in the sense that I did not hate it as much this time. Mm -hmm. But I still think that it loses all of the mystery and menace and tension and... I don't know, just kind of like folklorish aspect to Mick Taylor. You know what I mean? Like, so while Wolf Creek One is a slow build, Wolf Creek Two opens with this ridiculously over the top, like murder of these two police officers in the outback who have had 
the bad fortune to pull Mick Taylor over as he's transporting like pig parts. And my biggest problem with that is that number one, they make the cops like the most sneering, condescending, unlikable assholes. So from the very beginning of the movie, they're putting you in the corner of the sociopathic serial killer that's the villain of your film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And making you almost root for him to kill these police officers. Right. And he does it in a way that's not just like him being like crafty and savvy, but him having like this almost supernatural ability to shoot from far away and mm-hmm. outdrive like trained professionals and overpower people and just like destroy them outright. And it's like from the very beginning, it sets the absolute wrong tone because his character is better as like a menacing figure that slowly comes into focus to do something bad to the people that are your main characters, not the other way around. Right. Where this dude's the main character and the entire time he's dealing with like these pricks. So after the murder of the police officers, it kind of shifts perspective to this German couple, young, like recent college graduates are about to be college graduates. Can't remember, but they're like in their early twenties they're backpacking across Australia on holiday before they're finishing out like their school careers or whatever. They're not terrible people, but there's also nothing really interesting about them. And they kind of paint the guy as this like hot-headed prick who doesn't understand why like everybody doesn't want to stop and do things for him. Right. Because he's wandering around like in the middle of like, you know, the wilderness. Yeah. And it's like I mean, I don't know anything really about German tourists, but it's almost like the ugly American stereotype of tourism. And not even that's like a wrong stereotype, but still, like, that's not a character you're going to sympathize with. Sure. And so, again, Mick Taylor pops up, he cracks some jokes, and he kills the guy. And then, you know, he ends up, like, chasing the girl, and then he kills the girl, and then there's this dude that saves the girl, and he ends up capturing that dude, and then he tortures him for, you know one of the worst scenes in the movie that's supposed to like fill you with tension but it absolutely absolutely doesn't which is him like playing australian trivial pursuit it's the only thing i liked in the movie actually really yep only thing i just it's so long and like again the best character in that scene is mick taylor yes like you're you laugh at what he says Mm -hmm. he's like Mm-hmm. kind of ingratiates himself with you a little bit even though yep. he's a psychopath it's like you're kind of rooting for him and it's such yeah i don't disagree with you i'm just saying if there's a scene i kind of liked it it's actually what i was going <laughs> what we were going for like all those years ago in that short that we filmed back right. in like the 2000s very similar to what i was going for like sure but and that's fine and if this movie is parody i guess that's fine but mm-hmm. i don't think it is i think no. this Again, I think there's an underlying current of xenophobia in the Australian people that is projected through, or not the Australian people, but maybe McLean himself or the writer of the movie or Jarrett maybe a little bit, but just like this, why are you coming into, and maybe this is not even like wrongheaded, but like, why are you coming in to, you know, appropriate our culture and try to like, you know, because it's, it's two Germans, it's, um, the British guy is the guy that gets tortured. In the first movie, it's what, an American and two... They're Australian girls, right? Yeah. But the dude is American or something? Something like or that. Or British or, or something British, like that? I think British, yeah. You know, so I get it. I get, like, the whole, like, 
cultural like misappropriation and kind of like the tourism aspect of it but you don't make him a villain in the second movie and it just ruins the character and it makes the movie almost unbearable to sit through like it's just really yeah really repetitive and nauseating and not much really happens in it but it spends a long time having not much happen and in the end like you don't really get a good movie out of it and for as much as i like was surprised and impressed with the first movie i sat there and watched this and i was like what the fuck like for like an hour like what am i watching that opening scene made me so angry watching this movie when i first saw it and i was super stoked when this movie came out to see it i was so mad i almost stopped the movie and just never watched it again Mm -hmm. i forced myself to sit through it just to see if it would get better but like the underground like prison thing that he has built is oh dude when i say i like that 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 scene i like the idea of that scene and the way it kind of plays out like with the quiz as soon as it gets into rob zombie haunted house yeah. like people living like bullshit like i, I can't texas chainsaw massacre 2 or mm-hmm. that terrible rambo last blood part 8 or whatever the fuck it's mm-hmm. called like the one where he's a anti-immigration oh, yeah, i didn't, I didn't watch it you told me not to yeah man it just makes you angry yeah. um and the thing, one of the things I hate the most in modern film, and like I can kind of forgive it in older movies because our, for the most part, our society has changed and matured, but like kind of making him a villain because he might be a little gay, like that's also like really wrongheaded to me. And like I kind of hate the inclusion of the fact that like, right, you know, like he's fondling the dead guy's dick when he cuts it off and mm-hmm. then telling the guy like oh i'm gonna put you in a dress and then i'll make you the girl and it's like right you don't make somebody the villain just because they like to have sex with men like that Mm -hmm. shouldn't be a defining characteristic of your villainy right and it's not used to just define him as a character it's used to presumably make you repulsed at the idea that oh here's another thing about this guy that i should hate or whatever so Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah that that stuff really bothers me yeah um so yeah so just really a bad sequel and really disappointing in the fact that it's the same primary like creators and they just completely lost like everything that made the first movie great so yeah and and, i'm surprised you didn't bring this up like i really surprised this movie has one of the worst sequences i think i've watched in i don't know how many years um which is fucking mick driving a semi chasing this guy to the lion sleeps tonight oh with the, the kangaroos yeah going down the that. highway and fucking hitting kangaroos and killing kangaroos yeah, yeah, and yeah. doing all this yeah, crazy terrible. stuff it is one of the worst scenes oh mate uh, welcome to the outback oh, awful right terrible so bad like yeah, I, I forgot about i that haven't completely. i cringe so much I, I was cringing out of hate for what i was watching in that scene it was awful and then it's like he crashes that truck down the hill like something out of fucking twisted metal or something like that um and i think i laughed at that point because it like felt like it was turning into a comedy but it it's not turning into a comedy well i think it's an homage to that um remember we did uh 
was it Outback in the Outback or whatever? <laughs> Something like yeah. And I did the um Out in the Outback, yeah. Uh Road Road Train movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's another movie with Stacy Keach and um, Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe? Um, that's a similar idea with to that sequence with the truck like chasing the killer in the truck chase chasing the people in like a, a jeep or whatever mm-hmm. i kind of think that's an homage to that okay sort of. i mean i'm not it's, saying that excuses it but i think that's where that comes well from. here's the thing is, is, is like okay are they trying to turn him to a supernatural force like i had this thought like you know like the hitcher or something like that like you know and it's like no they're not like it's just bad right it's, it's just, just a really like wrong-headed sequence yeah yeah, I had forgotten about that, but yeah, that's really terrible. Yeah, one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. Like, yeah. I literally just watched Wolf Creek on Monday, Wolf Creek 2 again, and I had already put it out of my head. Right. I hate seeing happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ugh. Ugh. Uh, yeah. So, and maybe that scene was so bad to me that it's like anything that came after that, like, was like better. So, like, the, the tortures, maybe the torture scene get this better in my mind because it's, it's, it's not that um but yeah and i hated like it's like you start off with the cops like you said and then it's like you go to those like uh german tourists and it's like you you get you get like one set of like these characters are the main characters maybe but they're not the main characters you get that once in a movie you don't get to do cops and then german tourists and then this dude right right you know no you don't get that like awful uh yeah so it's a bad movie very 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 highly unrecommended yeah but if you've never seen wolf creek like i like i said i've come around to it some it's 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 good hard um much better than this (laughs) and much better than cry wolf which for like four years i confused the titles of these two movies (laughs) all right Cry Wolf is not a good movie either but also not disappointing because i didn't expect it to be good gotcha Number four on your list is another horror movie, this time from 2021, called Antlers. It is directed by Scott Cooper. It stars Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, Jeremy T. Thomas, and Graham Greene. It has a 60% from critics and a 68% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So you want to tell us a little bit about this and uh, what made you so disappointed? So one of the last great movie-going experiences, I think, for me personally, was us going to see the lighthouse um in theaters in november of 2019 mm-hmm. um october november somewhere around there yeah um it was really like kind of a revelatory movie to me um i really wanted to love it and i think i liked it more than i even expected to and there was a trailer package in front of it that had some things that i found to be all that all looked really interesting um one of which was The Turning, which is a terrible movie. Although I didn't think that looked too great, but I thought maybe, yeah, I turned the screw like adaptation and then it was just shit. Um, the second being um, the Shia LaBeouf movie, uh, Honey Boy, mm-hmm. which I still have never watched because I feel like it's just going to disappoint me. And the third and thing that I was most excited about was the trailer for this movie, Antlers. It was dark. It was menacing. Um, it had this feeling of like being a really good, good solid like north northwestern american like indigenous people folklore movie you know um 
I kind of assumed it was going to be about a Wendigo from the beginning, and that is what it ends up being about, but it takes a long time to get there. Um, but just a really impressive trailer. And I will say that this movie has some very visually impressive sequences in it in terms of the cinematography and the filming. Um, the way they the way they saturate the colors in this movie gives it a very like deeply fall like feeling so you're always feeling like the yellows and reds and dark browns and blacks and they juxtapose all those things with um you know these like cooler scenes where it's like like blues and grays and it's just it's it's beautifully filmed this movie and unfortunately it's not a very good movie like with the beautiful filming and I waited, so this movie was supposed to come out in April of 2020, and then COVID hit, and I was like, okay, well, cool, maybe this will get released on streaming, but they held it, and they held it, and then I don't think they released it until, like, <clears throat> it came out in 22, right? came out on HBO in 22, so you watched it last year in 21? I rented it when yeah. it came out in streaming. Uh-huh. I think I spent like twenty dollars to did. watch this movie yep. too, and I was so fucking heartbroken with how much I hated it. Uh, Watching it a second time, I will say that I didn't hate it as much because I already knew everything that was coming, so I wasn't so let down by stuff. But so the movie involves uh, Carrie Russell is this um, kind of like PTSD suffering lady who's come back to her hometown to live with her brother played by jesse plemons who's the town sheriff and teach at the local elementary school so she immediately identifies this kid who's like sunken face malnourished skittish gets picked on um and is trying to help him but the kid doesn't seem to want help so what you eventually find out during the movie is that the kid is capturing and disemboweling animal carcasses or finding animal carcasses like roadkill and bringing it back to his younger brother and father who he has locked in his attic who are eating the corpses basically eating these animal corpses so carrie russell's meddling basically causes um her boss to get murdered uh when she goes to investigate um long story short the father was um a meth cook basically and has been possessed by the indian spirit of the wendigo which is the spirit of like ceaseless like greed and hunger you know it's kind of like the all the ills of man is represented in indigenous culture like pacific northwest and canadian like indigenous culture um the wendigo has inhabited this kid's father and kind of takes him over and becomes this giant like deer skeleton beast thing that like murders people um and the younger brother is also infected and eventually carrie russell and jesse plemons like save the day and save the kid but in the end the kid might be infected too because he's coughing up like this black bile that the father was in a flashback so there's the kernel of a good movie here right like mm -hmm. the wendigo myth is interesting and has been in movies before but i don't think ever done like with the budget to do it right and to really make it interesting um and the character of the wendigo is like a really 
fascinating thing because there's a lot of humanity to it but it's also like the antithesis of humanity because it's like man devouring man um so there's a lot of allegory right to like the wendigo myth but the problem is is the people that made this movie wanted to take every single bad thing that can happen to a person and represent it somehow in this movie where it's like it's just it's too fucking much like it doesn't have a central story it's got like five separate plot lines going at once about he's a meth dealer and he's damaging the environment he's abusing his children presumably and the mother died because she was a crack she was an addict and whatever and Carrie Russell was abused by her father as a child, physically and possibly sexually, and maybe Jesse Plemons was abused sexually by the father as well after Carrie Russell ran away. Carrie Russell ran away and abandoned her brother and can't reconcile herself with that fact when she comes back. And the townspeople, they don't want to like know about the bad things that are happening because everybody's depressed in the town. And the mining industry is like destroyed <laughs> the environment and made everything look bad. And so mm-hmm. everything is and- like this... And for all of that, and for all of that, there's so much going on. I found to be one of the dullest mainstream horror movies that I've right. watched in quite some time. Incredibly dull. Because most of their... So, the special effects, in particular of the father as he's becoming like fully possessed by the Wendigo, where there's like lights like inside his body, like this burning. Because that's kind of part of the myth, is that like you have this like gnawing burning hunger inside you where you know because a lot of the wendigo myth involves like cannibalism or whatever Mm -hmm. but there is like an element of like you know like exploding out of you and you create this creature that's like this you know half skeleton half wolf like part skeleton part wolf part deer thing or whatever and you know um i think the ravenous does a good job with that i think that um the way that Hannibal uses the Wendigo mythology is really good. Um, there's a Larry Fessender movie that might be called Wendigo. It it's is. called something. It is. Um, that has a decent representation there too and is like a nice slow burn. Mm-hmm. But all they do is they just want to show you like a Dutch angle of this like malnourished child with his eyes wide, like staring at something in dumbfounded like s- super horror or something it's it's a movie of sad faces and weird angles and not much else yeah. like really nothing happens in this movie until i don't know an hour in maybe if that and longer i think honestly well i think that the first time that the woman goes to the house is like maybe an hour yeah the um principal when she yeah, but goes, then, right but then nothing happens for another 10 or 15 minutes i think sure well <laughs> then the the little kid the bully gets killed like 10 minutes after that mm-hmm or th- those happen simultaneously, like within like a few minutes of each other, like that happens. And then it's still, it's just like, you know, Carrie Russell, like standing on a sidewalk, like looking kind of like, oh, I'm so hurt by my past and I can't tell anybody. And what's going on over there? Yes. Um, And then when they finally like give you the reveal of the monster, yeah i just think it looks kind of silly like i i don't like the special effects in it i kind of hate the end of this movie yeah and ultimately for being like again i i think they're trying to like have some kind of like modern allegory here but the allegory is that what like you can never escape your past and you're fucked yeah so so, so i watched the fucking we talked about the 
um spin chagrin but it's like i ended up watching the newest scream movie and like there's a lot of talk in that movie about the idea of elevated horror because that's the, the the route they're trying to like take in terms of meta commentary on horror and i think that's exactly the term of what this is trying to do um is trying to be elevated in some way by including like you know social themes and like you know like about familial trauma and all these things the problem is is i guess the theme of this movie like this isn't like a pat myself on the back type thing because i think it's pretty damn obvious like before it was fully introduced oh buddy 10 minutes in right like before yeah it's like you figure it out quickly and then you're just bored by the entire thing and it doesn't really go anywhere like they don't do anything with the subtext of 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 trauma and abuse and stuff if you if you shrink this movie down to just being about a young idealistic teacher who's trying to save this kid that yes he's a great artist and he like writes these fantastic stories but he's malnourished and sad and like you know her brother's the sheriff and says look like his uh, we we never talked about this but his dad is a local meth dealer and you know i mean there's there's some great lines in this movie like like there's a line when she's talking to the principal when she's kind of like showing her the, the kids drawings and the principal says, like, look, you'll find a lot of kids are homeschooled in this area, but they're homeschooled so they can be drug mules. And so we don't smell the meth on the kid when it comes to school. Like, this small little thing, I think, like, man, like, that's some really good writing. Like, that's a really powerful way to, like, kind of tell this kid's story without, like, mm-hmm. beating you over the head with it. But then they turn around and beat you over the head with it anyway. <laughs> right. Because they don't know what else to do and they want to have like 20, you don't need Carrie Russell to have been abused to be empathetic towards an abused child, right? Like there's absolutely no reason that she can't be, have empathy to her student without having to share, like have shared trauma. Like it doesn't add anything to that story. And it really just makes these scenes with Clemens and Russell, who are both good actors, Mm -hmm. like almost unbearable at times because it's just like she's sitting there and he walks up and she's like, oh, my God, are you dad? Oh, no, dad's dead. And it's like, sh- right. shut the fuck up. Like, right. I don't care. I don't care. It's a stupid. Yes. You never pay it off in any real no. like, meaningful way. And it just bogs everything down. And it's mm-hmm. probably 30 minutes of this movie is spent on that story. Sure. You don't need it. Like, mm-hmm. the kid. I, you know what this movie made me think of a lot was um, uh, Winter's Bone, which mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And very similar in terms of like setting and tone and color palette. But that movie is so taut and is so just about the thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just about like her quest kind of right. to sort of like right the wrongs that she's trying to write. And it it allows you to see these characters because really it's kind of like the wonderful whites of West Virginia or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. like you've got these these people who are almost like a different culture than our call not even almost like they're a completely different culture and like it lets you learn about them like the um fucking um boyd and uh justified you know Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's your characters and carrie russell is the character that's kind of unleashing evil by meddling in that world right right so does the kid need to be saved? Sure. But then the question is, can you ever save the kid? I mean, that's fine if that's how you tell it. Uh-huh. But to bog it down with all that stuff, number one, it ruins what, in my opinion, is a pretty visually impressive movie at times. Right. And it just creates way too much 
like extra lag time in there when you could be focusing more on the mythology of this creature or have him kill a few more people you know what i mean like yeah. show it where like build the tension of right this poor little like nine-year-old malnourished like illiterate mm -hmm. who's really trying to just save his dad and his brother and all these like idiots around him who don't understand and think they're trying to save him when he's trying to be the hero like that's a great movie right there right that's a fantastic horror movie it's really original mm -hmm. it's got a lot of like heart to it probably and it doesn't need any of the other bullshit in this movie and that's what I thought we were getting when I saw the trailer. Like, mm -hmm. I was really impressed with that trailer and then watching it, which is so disappointed in how unnecessary most of it was. And I don't know. It's just really a waste of a great idea. So, yeah, that's um, my disappointment there. The, la the only other thing I'll add here is uh, the last scene in this movie I wanted to ask you about. This is when um, she realizes she has to kill the, kill the boy. Yeah. Um, what's the horror? of that scene like well the horror is if you think that the boy is savable right and you don't i don't think i mean i think that they've and then what so if you don't think then then still what what is the what is the horror of that scene what so what really needs to happen is you almost need to either cut the younger brother character out completely or have the younger brother character killed by the father and have them kind of overtake the father and then have it be um fuck what is the kid's name cletus or something whatever um have him start to be possessed and her save him you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then your tension is in this character this kid who if you filmed it right is the main character of the movie and the one that you're rooting for the whole time mm -hmm. he's not just like this empty little cipher who kind of like shivers a lot and stares off into space right then when when they're on the beach at the end and she's you know they're talking about how they're going to adopt him and they're going to give him like you know a family <clears throat> and as they walk off he like coughs out the you know the black tar shit mm -hmm. that's you know emblematic of like the evils of man that's kind of infected him or whatever mm -hmm. that's a good end right sure. the problem is is that like i don't know i mean i feel like there's no tension to it because the younger brother is barely a character in the movie right he's just a plot device more or less so eh, maybe like you have some oh like are they gonna be able to save him but i think you know pretty much right away they're gonna have to kill him yeah right so so right so so what is the horror of that scene at that point so it's like you write this i agree with you like it needs to be rewritten like all that kind of stuff and then it could be, be it could all be better the horror of that so even when they get to the end this movie lacks courage it lacks the courage of its convictions. So it's like, if the idea here is like, oh my God, we cannot save this kid. And to save other people, we have to kill the kid. Well, we just talked about this um, in 75 horror or whatever, and with who can kill a child, right? Right. Like, that's the horror. Yes. That movie's central focus is, it's, is its title. It's the, mm -hmm. the premise and the title and everything wrapped into one, which is what does it take for you to murder a child yeah. right yep. and i don't want to spoil anything but when we talk about dawn of the dead that's another it's a great scene in that movie right when it's like even if they're zombies can right. you easily shoot a child can you easily kill something mm -hmm. that looks like an innocent to you and that's that's what's happening here and so right. 
if you want that to be the focus, you have to have more investment in the idea of who that child is, and you know, yeah, right. And you ha- and and you have to not be cheap when theoretical by doing it off screen. You don't have to show the right. murder, but it's like you don't have to show like the the, the knife or anything like that. But you got to do more with than it does here. It has to feel to some degree visceral, and yeah. this is basically cuts the fuck away and like is cheap and lacks courage. Oh, right, because it's not actually asking the question. Because again, like it's it's so in love with its high-minded ideals, and it needs to encompass everything that like it just can't do anything, yeah. any one thing right. So agreed. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah, I just not a not a not a fun movie at all to watch to me. No. Like and. Just, super disappointing because i think if you're just watching the visual aesthetic i think there's a lot of really great talent here in terms of the cinematography and some of the directorial choices especially early and midway through the movie i think that scene where the bully gets killed is fantastically shot and i think it's almost perfect where you know cletus is kind of um like trying to get away but still sort of like attached to the idea of watching his tormentor get murdered right like there's some real like good acting and character development there that they didn't completely throw away because they got to resolve like seven other storylines right so yeah so yeah that's it not worth watching it's on hbo max if you want to torture yourself for <laughs> four and a half hours <laughs> all right uh Number three on your list, the, the the one movie that I can can relate to you on, is 2005's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. is directed by Garth Jennings. It stars Martin Freeman, Yasin Bey, as most people might know, as most deaf. Um, Sam Rockwell, Zoe Deschanel, Warwick Davis, and Alan Rickman has a 60% from critics, a 65% from audiences. So you want to tell us about this disappointment back in 2005? This movie is more on the list as kind of like a, I don't know, like a, my, I, what, what, my shared trauma with you and Bledsoe. Um, <laughs> I'm not as big of a fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide books as you guys were. Um, I mean, I like them. I haven't read all of them, but um, the first two I really enjoy. Um, the first one, especially, I think is is a really funny well done piece of like science fiction parody or whatever you want to call it um and honestly like with douglas adams being involved in the movie um and having recently read the book like i was i was pretty stoked to see this movie i thought you know and here's another thing too and i was talking to frankie about this the other day um my son you think about the star power at the time that's in this movie with rockwell with mostef with Martin Freeman, fresh out of the office, you know, um, Zoe Deschanel, who's like a popular, like young starlet at the time, Alan Rickman doing the voice of Marvin, you know, mm-hmm. like even other roles like, like Bill Nye and um, John Malkovich, you know what right. I mean? Like yep. for when this was announced in 2004, like that's capturing all of these people coming off of within a year or two, some really important work in their you know their careers like something that made them talked about and stars and you you watch it today and you kind of think like okay well sam rockwell most def whatever but like you know most def has what a grammy award-winning album like 
a year before this mm-hmm. rockwell is like an indie star deschanel is an indie star um freeman is coming off of the office um malkovich has been in um kind of reinvented his career after being john malkovich um there's just there's all these people that i think everyone kind of thought this is going to be like the perfect encapsulation of this weird quirky little like cult novel with with this perfect cast to capture it and I, i don't even know how to explain the hitchhiker's guide it's 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 parody um if you know it you know it and you've probably heard references to it if you don't know it and you still would know them like the answer to whatever like the life the universe and everything right is 42 right um fucking singing dolphins the i don't know we walked out of this movie theater and again me being like mr like optimism like i was trying to find shit but like it was terrible and i think that all of us were so disappointed in everything about this movie like and really almost down to a man every single actor in this movie and the way they captured the characters because none of them none of them i can't think of anybody that comes close to encapsulating how i envision that character martin freeman comes the closest yeah but he's a cypher you know he's Uh the zeppo or whatever from you know like whatever like he's he's you he's the everyman and Mm -hmm. he's really fucking annoying because he consistently makes the wrong decisions like it's right i guess like it works in the context of the book and it's been 25 years now since i've read those books but um watching it again like i hated him like i was so rooting against um arthur dent to have any success in life like watching this movie so basically freeman plays arthur dent who's this kind of like middling salaryman british guy who's got no self-confidence no sense of adventure and kind of just lives the same life over and over he's friends with mostef who's just this dude that he like met randomly um saved his life one day so mostef saves martin freeman's life by taking him up into a spaceship as earth is being destroyed and these are parodies of bureaucracy and almost like manifest destiny in the sense of like we got to go through this beauty this thing that exists because we can't go around it because it's just quicker to go through it by like a second or whatever um encapsulated in arthur dent's house being destroyed by the municipal government and that same mindset in these aliens that are going to destroy the earth so then they go on an adventure with the president of the universe who's an asshole and Zoe Deschanel, who was somebody that Martin Freeman was like, kind of had the hots for, and then she disappeared, and now they're all in space. I don't want to talk about this fucking plot of this movie, yeah. but ultimately, like, they're on this adventure, and their goal is to get to this planet um, where this giant supercomputer is. They gave this answer forty-two or whatever. When you read the books, the way the books are written is very um, scattered is not the right word because there's definitely like an art to it but it it jumps around a lot to give you like here's some backstory or here's like some foreshadowing or here's a funny anecdote that will like make the next funny anecdote mean more because like you know this funny anecdote and it's really charming the way that douglas adams writes the books you know and it almost feels like kind of a like the wayward like haphazard like real guide to like the universe in the way that you read it 
Mm-hmm. And number one, the movie feels like a fucking like low rent late nineties BBC production of Doctor Who. Yeah. Like the CGI, the costuming, even the way that it's filmed and blocked, it it's like Faulty Towers or something, or fucking Red Dwarf. Like it's like watching right. like a TV show. And it doesn't feel like a like a cinematic experience. It just feels very small, mm-hmm. even though they have like these big sets and stuff. It all feels like something that was done on a soundstage. And I don't think even like for a comedy movie, I don't think you can make a, a sci-fi movie that takes place predominantly in outer space, far away from Earth, with alien species, and have it feel small. Like it just doesn't work. Sure. Um, Rockwell is completely miscast and performs yeah. awful as president whatever zaphod yeah whatever his name is um most most stuff and i said this to you the other night when we did the spin chagrin most stuff is channeling um malcolm's best friend from malcolm in the middle the kid with the glasses who was in the wheelchair that wheezed all the time because every line is under delivered and whispered and hoarse and has no emotive like there's nothing to that character it's just it's the worst one of the worst performances I think I've ever seen in a care in an actor that actually has talent and can do much better. Um, I don't really have anything bad to say about Chanel, but she didn't really add anything to it either. And she's kind of unlikable in it. Yeah, and just dull. Um, dull casting. I don't think that Rickman is bad casting as the voice of Marvin, but it's just not right to me somehow. Like the way that they agreed. Um, and not how I pictured. I guess maybe. Mm-hmm. And every scene is just like I don't know. It's like the. Do you know what I like the best about this movie is the opening credit sequence with the dolphin singing the song. Yes, about the, thanks for all the fish. I, I I was like, you know what? Maybe this was. I I was sitting outside and 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 Brandy was like sitting there and like she like heard it and knew what it was and like I was like kind of like you know chuckling at it and like I was thinking maybe maybe this is better than I remember and then I, I no, thought I thought exactly awful. the same thing yep. I was like maybe I'm remembering that maybe my expectations were too high mm-hmm. at the time and now that I'm removed I'll enjoy it more but I think I enjoyed it less I think I enjoyed it more being able to make direct connections to what was happening on the screen to what I had read in the books. So I guess that hasn't been 25 years, but long enough. Yeah. And now that I'm so far removed, it just, it's all very, it's, it's crass. It's... Yeah. There's a few lines that were delivered here and there in the narration in this movie that like elicited like a positive feeling on me only because they were intimations of me remembering the line from the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's but this otherwise this movie somehow the plot the plot is both like too slow and too rushed at the same time in some ways like the way that they execute it and it just leads to this abhorrent pacing with as you mentioned completely miscast yeah actors in it um, I told you the other night that I thought that the best scene, you're right, the Dolphins is the best scene, uh, and then it all goes downhill. The closest it kind of feels like the 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 rat-a-tat-tat delivery and, and the way that people speak or should be speaking in this movie is when Nye and Freeman are traveling over Earth 
and seriously, I'm talking about like what, like 60 seconds, maybe. Yeah. Um, that's the closest I saw, like when Earth is under construction and they're talking, is like the best delivery in the movie, and everything else is like m- misdelivered constantly. I I don't know how you fuck this up that bad. Um, and I I don't think I think as I mentioned to you, and I I don't think you've ever seen it. The BBC version, which is so cheap looking from the '80s, does this so much better than this movie did. Mm. Which is yeah, I've never seen it, but sad. I, I believe it. Sad, because uh, that's that's part of it too. Is it's like it's not just that it looks cheap and that it's like kind of wrong headed. It just it does nothing to capture kind of that whimsy or whatever of mm-hmm. the the source material and it's like why and it's so disappointing because it's produced by adam so you would think that like he would of anyone would know how to capture yeah he's dead though he died in 01 so it's like he's he he wrote this like a lot of the script for it yeah and then they just came in and fucked it up Uh, jay roach was supposed to do it initially and wanted to hire spike jones to direct um back when adams was still alive and um i think that was like they wanted jim carrey or something to do zaphod i don't know if that would have ended up much better but maybe (laughs) um maybe uh because rockwell failed but it's like it it was it was a different movie when he was like working on it it seemed and then it's like he died and then things changed and now we're left with this bullshit yeah so yeah um I probably felt worse about it coming out of the theater than I did. I probably felt worse about it now than I did coming out of the theater then, yeah. which I would not have. I would have thought it would have been much more the other way. So, yeah, I agree with you. Like I really, I, I disliked it more this time. I don't even know how I feel like the book would hold up anymore. Um, I don't know. I I can't imagine. Um, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't even like the book anymore. Like, maybe I'm... It's kind of like Monty Python, you know? Like, there was a time where I would have told you that, like, The Life of Brian or The Meaning of Life was the height of comedy or whatever. And I think that... um, I don't know. I think maybe I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, I I, be- I bet you the book still holds up better than something like this movie does, though. I mean, I, I, I think that... I think it's an... Un- I think it's unfilmable to some degree like that book i think his his humor i think it's why it's really hard for the same reason like it's really hard to adapt something like terry pratchett um is because the the humor and the comedy and the feeling of those things are so ingrained with the with the wit and the writing in 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 the writing that it's like really hard to capture that on film um so this was already working at like at a disadvantage i think and then completely failed in every way um so that's the minor little like caveat i would give this movie is that i think it's really hard to adapt that um fully and capture the same feeling as reading the book but um yeah i'm I'm assuming there's a certain age you are probably right whereas that stuff's funnier yeah you know yeah i agree with late teens maybe you know sure you know it's like the fountainhead or atlas shrugged i mean not in the comedy aspect but you know when i was 17 years old and reading the fountainhead for the first time i was like oh my god i'm fucking howard work and 
exceptionalism and blah 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 and then like i read it again when i was like maybe 30 and i'm like "Mm, eh, maybe maybe this isn't exactly like who i want to aspire to be right right yeah all right so number two on your list uh is 2019's three from hell directed by rob zombie a sequel to the devil's rejects it stars bills mosley sherry moon zombie of course richard brake and jeff daniel phillips it has 58 percent from critics 57 percent from audiences so you want to tell us a little bit about why this movie is so disappointing so we've talked about this a number of times but i yeah. just briefly um extol my love for the devil's rejects which i think is possibly one of the best horror movies of the past 25 years and maybe maybe the best homage to like true homage to like 70s grindhouse horror like ever um i think it's a perfect encapsulation of shock and like that 70s road movie feel that it has to it and really building characters as anti-heroes but never letting you embrace them as heroes right mm-hmm. like all those things i think are true about that movie one of my favorite movies seriously of like the past couple decades um another one like wolf creek that was a complete revelation to me because i did not expect to enjoy it and i just kind of walked into it one afternoon while i was working and caught like 15 minutes i was like oh my god like i have to watch this whole movie Mm -hmm. and then went back in for the next showing and just stood like because you know slow day like stood in the theater and just watched it for the whole time and then I think went out and got dinner and came back and watched it again, like after work, like just completely blown away by this movie when I first saw it. So Rob Zombie did a lot of things in the interim between making the Devil's Rejects and making Three from Hell. Right. Um, and all of those things were in some manner disappointing to me um, because I thought, because there's, and we've talked about this again, like ad nauseum, but there's a scene in, house of a thousand corpses that's absolutely perfect like an incredibly perfectly filmed and timed and paced and set and the angle and the direction is just an amazing scene where walter goggins gets executed um outside of the house of a thousand corpses basically um and everything else in that movie is is shit it's trash so for devil's rejects to completely like capture everything that's great in that one scene was like such a breath of fresh air and so exciting because I love Rob Zombie. Like I, White Zombie is one of my favorite bands. I have a lot of appreciation for his appreciation of the same things that I like. You know, we have the same, really kind of the same taste in movies and art. And it's just always disappointing when he comes out with a movie because it's like it just misses the mark in so many ways. And so when they announced the Three from Hell sequel and, um, and when they announced the sequel to Devil's Rejects 3 from Hell, I was really excited to see it. So one of the things that I think hurts this movie a little bit is the death of, um, what's his name? Uh, Sid Haig. Yeah, Sid Haig, Captain Spalding. Um, I don't know how the movie would have been different with him in it. And they give him a scene for him to do his um, Charlie Manson-like song and dance shit, um, which I was kind of feel falls flat in the way that zombie writes it but whatever i mean Haig is a good actor and like does a good job there so this was a movie that when i again i first saw it i fucking hated it i was so angry watching this movie 
and watching it the second time i don't think i felt the anger that i did the first time just because i knew it was coming mm-hmm. so i guess i couldn't be disappointed anymore because right. i was already properly appointed to where i was going to be like watching it um that was a joke i know that's not anyway um number one it falls into the same trap that i think wolf creek 2 does which is it doesn't understand what made its predecessor great and it does way too much in one direction and ruins your appreciation for these characters because these characters are not good people and it starts out by being a really bad like imitation of the scenes in natural born killers where they're interviewing the public and they're talking about how much they love them and it's such a bad imitation to the point where i was watching it this time and thinking like how could he even do this and not realize that what he's doing is just imitating a parody right like like if you're parodying a parody like what are you actually doing like you're not accomplishing anything and it doesn't do any good to make these guys like they're not anti-heroes in the sense of um charles bronson and death wish or clint eastwood and dirty harry you know what i mean like those are people that are operating outside of the system of law but for the cause of justice right sure the devil's rejects are operating outside the system of law for the cause of mayhem and death like there's nothing good about them they're not doing anything to help anyone no and by trying to humanize them to the point where like you're supposed to root for them it just it just feels like disingenuous and there's because you're never rooting for them in the devil's rejects you want to see them get their comeuppance but it's such a finely crafted like picture of psychopaths right it's like henry like you're never rooting for henry and henry portrait of a serial killer yeah but it's a brilliant performance and it's compelling yeah. Like Otis Driftwood, whatever, baby, Captain Spaulding, like you're not rooting for them to succeed. You're compelled by watching them be human while at the same time doing the most inhuman things. Right, which leads to the, the great ending of the of Devil's Rejects of Skinner playing. And it's there is this bittersweetness to all of it, even though they certainly deserve to die um, right. for, for everything they've done. There's this bittersweetness that they're going to go out on their own terms with Freebird playing in the background, it's, you know, like you know what it is? It's Michael Madsen and Kill Bill too, right? It's mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. she deserves we she, she deserves does. her revenge and we deserve to die or whatever that right. line is. Yeah. It's like you can still look at um Bud as an interesting character and appreciate the nuance of that character and still feel satisfied when he dies. Like it's okay, it's right. not mutually exclusive to have a great character and also have them be the hero of the film mm-hmm. so by making them these like almost like prosaic like folk like anti-hippie it's it's everything that's wrong with like serial killer culture right like the embracing of this almost i don't, I don't know um like in the 80s they used to call it slumming it when like people that were like yuppies or wealthy would like put on dirty clothes and go out to like dive bars in you know the city it's the same thing it's like you can't there, there's a line from a they might be giant song that I, I can't believe this is coming up on a podcast but 
it you can't shake the devil's hand and say you're only kidding right mm-hmm. and i guess maybe that's the zombie's point and maybe that's okay but he completely misses the mark in terms of presenting that as his point mm-hmm. to the end where like they survive like these murderers right they put them up against even worse murderers and have them murder those murderers so that they can then walk away living and heroes kind of right and it's like they're not heroes they're atrocious rapist murdering psychopaths like you should not be in a position at the end of the movie where you're supposed to feel good for their survival right and i know that it maybe is just because he wants to maybe do another movie in the franchise or there's some element to zombie of like the counterculture where he feels like, like celebrating the killer is like whatever but i mean he's like a 50 some year old man like it's time to not be <laughs> yeah yeah you know you're a it's time to grow up yeah mm-hmm. maybe even close to a billionaire with like all of his like franchises and stuff and yeah. just maybe time to pump your brakes on the whole whatever yeah like fuck the man spiel mm-hmm. um i don't like the way it's filmed most of the time i think it looks really cheap um, I think it loses a lot of the charm of the road movie aspect of Devil's Rejects, even though it tries to recapture it. Um, I absolutely do not think the dialogue between, um, what's he called, Stickman or something, and um, Otis or whatever, Otis and his his brother, um, played by whatever that guy's name is. Richard Brake? Yeah, Richard Brake. Foxy? Foxy, is that what? Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I, I don't like their dialogue together. I think a lot of it falls really flat. And most of it seems really childish, too. Like, there's just really inane sense of, like, writing dirty words on the, you know, bathroom wall or whatever shit of, like, oh, look what I can get away with by saying this a bunch of times or, mm-hmm. you know, talking about this, like, dirty thing or whatever. You know, ah, oh, you know, baby yeah. might be a lesbian. Like, haha, that's so yeah. titillating. Yeah. Like, none of that stuff is cool. And... To, I don't, I don't know how I feel about Sherry Moon Zombie. Like sometimes I think she puts in really good performances, and sometimes I, I fucking hate her. But uh, putting the focus on her so much in this movie was a mistake. Well, and part of that though is because Baby is Harley Quinn in a lot of ways. Right. Like it's the same idea. But the pro, you know, you can take that Harley Quinn character in Birds of Prey and give her nuance and make her likable. And kind of redeem her in a lot of ways by showing that it was maybe the abusive relationship, you know, that the further she gets away from it, the more she heals or whatever. Baby is a psychopath. Like, she's never a good person. And there's never any justification for the things that she does. So, just the way that he presents it. And I know that it's his wife, but, like, man, maybe... There's some things she's fit for and there's some things she's not. I... I, I, when I watched Lords of Salem a few weeks ago um, and didn't fall asleep um, like I did the first time I tried, um, and I actually thought that movie was fine. It's maybe one of his better efforts to me, but um, in some ways. But uh, she's good in that. I like her. She fits that character, yeah, I think, really well. Um, I don't think she's bad as Baby. Right. And I think she's perfect as Baby in Devil's Rejects. The, the yeah. scene in the... The scene in the motel room in Devil's Rejects where they're torturing the mm-hmm. faux country band or whatever. Yeah. I don't know that it's... Uh, Zombie always does a little too much in his dialogue where it's like a little too precious or whatever, I guess. But mm-hmm. 
her performance in that scene is really good. It's very unhinged but controlled mm-hmm. and makes you afraid of her as a character. Yeah. And it's never trying to make you like her. Whereas the scenes in this movie, they want you to like her. And they want you to feel bad for her because, oh, look, she's being abused by the prison guards. Oh, look. Right. They're so mean to her. Oh, look, right. she has such and, a heart. And, and, then they, the, and then they let her go wild with it because the premise is she's getting crazier, right? She's getting loopier or whatever they say, like, in dialogue at some point. Or Otis, notice, Otis notices that she's like, you know, something's gone gone wrong. Um, even, even, and even in his mind. So it's like now she's even more over the top and it just doesn't come off well to me at all. Yeah, so um, for a movie that I really... Again, my anticipation for this movie was incredibly high before it came out because I love Devil's Rejects so much. And to be let down as much as this movie let me down just for as much as I love Devil's Rejects, I equally dislike this movie. And again, watching it, this is the second time I've seen it. I didn't hate it as much as I did the first time, but I also still thought it was a bad movie with not much redeeming value and definitely not a good follow-up to a movie that I truly love. Yeah, I hadn't seen it until, you know, because you told me never to watch it. But, um, I didn't hate it. I just didn't like it. Um, and I thought there were some things that were pretty bad overall. The question I have for you, though, is what, I mean, can you think back a couple of years ago, what did you want out of this movie in your mind? Because I thought it was over. <laughs> I was always surprised that they were doing a sequel to some degree. So, um, because I always just, my, my uh, kayfabe imagination for Devil's Rejects is that they died. So, they were gone into us. You know what I, bullets, so you know. if I'm going to rewrite this in the same way that we did earlier with Antlers, mm-hmm. number one, Sid Haig has to be alive enough to do this movie. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. So maybe he does this movie 10 years previous to when it actually came out. Uh-huh. You have them, the shootout happens, they're shooting back, they get away in the car, right? They go off, they flee to Mexico. And then you basically kind of pick up the thread where they're like licking their wounds and there's bounty hunters after them and they're, you know, kind of like ducking and dodging, you know, through the desert or whatever, or through these little like haciendas and um, almost like, I don't know, Blood Meridian or whatever, like these terrible people in a lawless land who are being hunted by something even worse. And then at the end of the movie, when it looks like they're finally like overcoming their pursuers you cut back to them being riddled with bullets in the car and that's it Mm -hmm. so it was like maybe their life flashing before their eyes Mm -hmm. or their last moment of life Mm -hmm. you know before they get killed and you kill them like you let them die like they just die it's what they deserve you know it would be shocking the first time you see it i think that would have been fantastic yeah i would like to see that or even if you don't like have it be like some moment of death thing just let that be the thing with the three of them on the run, like increasingly taking more and more like, you know, grievous wounds until the point where like they can't survive anymore and they're overcome. Right. And then that's their fitting yeah. in. Yeah. And then you can still that's have, what the- I th- that's what I thought this movie was. Honestly, 
Like I, I thought that's where I thought I was going to be watching her. And I don't know if if Zombie had to change a lot because of of Sid dying, and I it's a shame. Yeah. But even if like just kill him early in the movie and have it be about Otis and Baby, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't need to introduce this mysterious third character that's never been referenced before, including when all the fireflies right. were yeah. murdered in um, the House of a Thousand Corpses shootout or the beginning of Devil's Rejects, I guess is when that is. Yeah. Um you know whatever like you don't need you don't need it to be three from hell because that was the idea you had in your head yeah. you didn't want to think up another title right or right. call it that and just have fucking four captain spaulding die you know right yeah i i was i mean i don't like the character necessarily in it but i i kind of like richard Brake. um he's fine and yeah. it's not that he's he's actually probably the most likable character yeah but that's the problem is that they're not supposed to be likable. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. It, one of one of my favorite scenes, and I think about, I actually think about the scene probably more than most like scenes in modern movies is when Otis has taken the hippie driver out to the place where they have their cache of guns mm-hmm. and is standing over him with like this like fucking stark blue sky with no clouds like framing his head and just the shadows of the mm-hmm. like whatever the noon sun like completely like eclipsing like his eyes and his mouth and just that fucking beard and that hair mm-hmm. and he says i am the devil and i come to do the devil's work you know like quoting right. manson or whatever yeah. that is fucking like perfect filmmaking right there it's one of mm-hmm. the greatest scenes in modern horror and it's like it's badass and it's quotable and it's memorable and he is 100 the villain in that scene right you don't need a guy to be the hero right like i don't need richard Brake to be the hero oh sure yeah, yeah. and they frame him like that because he's fallen in love with his mexican prostitute mm-hmm. and is going to take him take her with him i guess to put in like porn maybe is the implication there but um i'll, I'll put you in movies but not in hollywood <laughs> uh, anyway i don't know whatever fuck this movie so <laughs> very disappointing <laughs> all right so number one on your list is both alien prequels directed by ridley scott 2012's prometheus and 2017's alien covenant prometheus stars numi rapace michael fassbender Charlize theron idris elba guy pierce logan marshall green 73 percent, 68 percent from ron tomatoes covenant stars fassbender katherine waterston billy crudup Danny McBride, 65, 55, critic audience on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Frank, give me the give me the give me the skinny here. What's what's your deal? What's the what's the problem with old Ridley Scott trying to um, make some prequels and make fans happy? I love the Alien franchise, and at one point, probably would have told you that it might it might maybe in like nineteen ninety four. 394 i would have told you it's my favorite franchise ever really okay i loved alien i loved aliens um dark horse comics did a series of alien comic books um in the late 80s early 90s and also introduced the first alien versus predator concept so um a lot of stuff that i love about aliens right in that universe so i don't hate alien 3 like i think a lot of people do because i kind of see I sort of appreciate what Fincher was trying to do, even though I don't think he succeeds. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I like the industrial setting and the darkness and the weirdness of it or whatever. And kind of like fleshing out this universe to be whatever, not just like there's not much extra in the universe outside of the planets they go to and alien and aliens and kind of putting some more human color to it is interesting even if it doesn't work alien resurrection is terrible movie bad idea bad filmmaking bad performances awful um so when prometheus was announced and one of the things that i really annoyed the shit out of me and why i didn't like prometheus why i i didn't give prometheus a chance at first um was everybody was so fucking coy about oh it's not an alien prequel it's its own thing oh it's not about the aliens what are you talking about like oh it's not an alien movie like just fucking say it's an alien prequel right right but they don't want to say it they don't want to do it so of course when you go into where the fucking um architects or whatever and number one oh my god there's so much about these movies um i think prometheus is in is it is an incredible movie from a visual standpoint up to a certain point i'm not a big fan of the stuff on the spaceship because i don't like that aesthetic especially because the nostromo you know whatever 20 years 25 years later is this goddamn leaking hulk of a space freighter you know like and not this beautiful anyway i always hate it when franchises like forget how things are look in movies that have already happened you know and they try and make everything look different like as much as you criticize star wars like a blaster was always a blaster you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so the first part of prometheus outside of like the pseudo religious nonsense is a beautiful movie the planet itself is amazing like the visuals on that planet are fucking phenomenal like it looks immediately recognizable and simultaneously like completely inhuman and alien um the design of the spacesuits is fantastic the design of like the ziggurat or whatever they go into where the alien eggs are is fantastic Mm -hmm. all that stuff is beautiful the storm looks really good there's a lot of tension you know when the fucking mohawk dude's got the alien inside him and he's going crazy yeah all that stuff is really well done and then the whole movie just falls apart because it becomes something else entirely different and i don't know what it is i mean maybe it was when this this is like just me like shit talking like armchair psychiatry or whatever Mm -hmm. i wonder if ridley scott getting towards the end of his life was starting to think more about the spiritual aspect of things right and like what who is god and where where do we come from and what is creation and maybe that's the fucking Guy Pierce, you know, Wayland characters, you know, David the Android. Like maybe that's all that shit is him like asking those questions and trying to answer them in some ways. And, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it doesn't work, right? And so the second half of Prometheus, including the goddamn rolling donut ship, like with Numi Rapace, like dodging like through the donut yeah. hole. Yeah. It's fucking awful. Uh-huh. I I hate the way the architects look. They're these. I don't even know how to describe it. Like you know when it looks like it's like Mr. Burns in that episode where, um, they <laughs> think there's an alien and you know I bring you love. 
like we always used to talk about like the singleton quote or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah like that's that's what the fucking architects look like is, is mr burns on drugs mm-hmm. there's no menace to them just because they're big and there's also like part of the problem too is that the thing that makes alien great is hr giger's concept of what an alien looks like like the biomechanical beast type thing mm-hmm. and um cameron's perfect use of them in an action setting right mm-hmm. because i i love alien i think alien is one of the greatest horror movies of the 1970s i think that anyone i i think that alien is a master craft in telling a story and introducing unfamiliar concepts in a way that's organic and still understandable right like i think it's a brilliant movie but that's also like a lot of that is the way it looks like it's giger Mm -hmm. you know giger creating the space cowboy and giger creating the alien creatures and i think it's just it loses like that mystique when they start to mess with these fucking bald glowy assholes right like there's nothing menacing about them and like then it's like oh well they're not even supposed that's the thing though right are they supposed i mean until the one towards the end of the movie they're not really supposed to be menacing like like at all like then the one just gets pissed off because fucking wayland wants eternal life or whatever and gets all fucking angry about like you know this dude wanted to live forever and and kills david um or rips david's head off or whatever like i don't even think they're supposed to be like menacing like i think they're just like dudes that are just you know that's the problem is that they're not just they're people that were purposefully trying to create some kind of organic war species by seeding the earth with their fucking they're the ultimate like um absentee landlord gods you know what i mean where it's Mm -hmm. like we're just gonna like shoot our shit down and hope for the best and leave right and it's dumb like i it's, hate it that is. concept yes it's like the idea of this this race of people who let me let me rewrite prometheus and then we'll move on to covenant because i think covenant yeah. is far more egregious of a movie than prometheus if you made the architects this group of, of people who had let science run amok and have created this thing that was destroying them and had then sacrificed themselves to freeze this thing forever so that no one will ever have to deal with it again. And then we're the ones that come in and fuck around and make that mistake. And this is the problem is that one of the things that makes sci-fi horror so compelling when it's done right is the idea that it's the hubris of man that causes our downfall. You know, it's us trying to do more or be greater or extend our reach beyond our grasp or our grasp beyond our reach. Whatever the fuck. Yeah. yeah. All those things are like the greatest parts of, you know, sci-fi horror. So an alien and an aliens and they try to do it here, but it's the idea that the, you know, Whalen yutani Corporation is surreptitiously trying to like gather these things so they can make profit off of it right and that some people are on board with that 
when you take it out of the realm of the human, you know, when it's not Paul Reiser who's trying to force these people to do terrible things because of his profit margins, right? Making it the android who's programmed to do that stuff, it's just dumb. Like, yeah. it's not menacing anymore. It's like, it's boilerplate. He's, uh, I mean, see, you can't even view him as a villain then because he's just doing what he was programmed to do. Like, Waylon's the villain and Waylon's not even in it for more than like 10 minutes. And then, actually, honestly, I think it, when Waylon shows up, it goes, that's when it goes downhill, like completely and utterly. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm yeah okay. I'm sorry. Because, I'm jumping ahead to fucking. Oh yeah, yeah. You're also jumping ahead because it's just the Wayland Corporation, and some geeks gonna come after you. Um, in this first movie, Wayland Yutani's not till the till till Covenant. Um, get it right. Because, well, it's Wayland like, Yutani for the majority of the Alien franchise. So my yes, bad. it is. I know. I'm just joking. Um, Man, ain't nobody listening to this podcast is gonna get all bent out of shape about my goddamn. There's somebody somewhere that's gone like that. It's actually, it's actually just. Wait what it's going to be is he's going to text us tomorrow and be like, "Whoa, well, well. <laughs> But now he can't because we've already called him out, right? Um, yeah, I. You're right. This movie starts out fine. Like I, this is the second time I've watched it. Um. And I was kind of like not looking forward to it. And I remember why is because the second half of this movie is just kind of lame. And there's a couple, it's like, I like the stuff like to some degree where rapaces, um, you know, in the machine and stuff like that. Like, I think it's like kind of horrifying and stuff like that, but it's like, it's so few and far between like the little sequences that I like in the second half, maybe like the last two thirds of this movie. Um, it's just it just feels like there's like this shit happening and none of it matters yeah agreed um so let's go on to a movie where more yeah. shit happens and none of it matters well more shit happens after the first 45 minutes because nothing happens in the first 45 minutes but go ahead <laughs> right so again ridley has his very distinct pattern of slow burn into like horrible action um covenant takes place eight years maybe ten years yeah after the events of um prometheus where you realize that 100 percent this is a fucking aliens prequel because an alien comes out of a goddamn right architect's chest and looks like a goddamn typical xenomorph but anyway yeah yeah so group of settlers in space going to colonize this world um they find this other planet where looks like it's habitable looks like it meets the requirements they're like oh why are we gonna go two thousand light years away let's just settle here and of course it's the wrong decision because the whole planet's infested with all these other versions of the alien um viruses they're calling it at this point um they get decimated their ship blows up or their like drop ship blows up people are killed david appears from the first movie fully formed again this is michael fassbender um saves the day so and i'm really cutting out a lot here but i don't really want to talk about this movie too much um because i fucking hate it takes them back to the architects like town or whatever where they're all fucking frozen and i don't know counter pain or whatever like and you know he's like oh 
me and me and the doc we crashed here and i tried to save her but she died and she fixed me all up and miss her and i'm just trying to be a good guy but of course he's not he's trying to like breed aliens and like he's breeding them to be perfect killing machines right because he's crazy and it makes no sense to have this be your villain or have this be the story but whatever (laughs) so there's another david martin or whatever who's just a future version of old david who's like more robotic because they've like kind of weaned out the personality from the androids because i guess they become fucking megalomaniacal like world destroying psychopaths um really stupid characters in this movie like for being space traveling scientists like they're idiots um yeah really does a strong job i think of like shitting on traditional faith really like the idea that faith is the people that have faith in like a higher power in this movie get killed yes and are assholes and it's definitely a condemnation of that um which whatever if that's your story that's fine but it feels like it's just ridley scott shitting on him just to shit on him basically like there's nothing gained i mean i guess like it doesn't go anywhere i guess there's some lines of dialogue and whatever of him being like the shepherd that's trying to bring his flock home to this like bountiful planet right um but he's an idiot like you know david's like oh he's like man david you're a fucking jerk for um killing elizabeth and bioengineering these aliens and david's like yeah yeah i i I suck you're right he's like we're gonna have to kill all these things david's like oh yeah 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 you're right we're gonna have to kill them all why don't you come look in this thing over here and he's like oh is it safe david's like oh yeah yeah it's cool Uh nothing's gonna happen to you Uh and then of course like a chest or a fucking face hugger comes out and puts a goddamn alien in him right and then like 15 seconds later that chest burster is popping out that's way too short there ain't no tension (laughs) there like right it's dumb it's dumb it's a really dumb the idea of the xenomorphs so you have canon which to me is alien and aliens and then alien earth war which is a dark horse series about um the Wayland yutani corporation bringing the aliens back to earth and the aliens basically overrunning the earth and humans trying to fight them off right those that's canon in my opinion later on kenner got the rights to aliens as a toy line and made a bunch of aliens that were like inspired by real world like creatures so there's like the cobra alien and the scorpion alien and the bull alien and the rhino alien and they look like those things right and they were cool toys but it's like you're trying to sell toys you know sure so i hate the fact that fucking ridley scott of all people like shit all over his franchise by taking that and making that can right Mm-hmm. film fucking alien earth war like that's what you do you know have it come to earth you could do uh-huh. re- you could do maybe you do two movies but at least one really great movie about again it's man's fault because we brought it here and you have man versus the aliens in like cities and on the earth and it could be really tense you know give it like kind of maybe a starship troopers kind of vibe to it or just expand upon what you did in aliens and have it be like your main question is when is when is enough enough and when is too much too much right like what is 
acceptable in the pursuit of science and what's unacceptable and not make it some fucking metaphysical pining on the existence of God and you know creation. what constitutes God and creation yeah if it's this robot that's doing it and then have the twist that oh my god like David was alive the whole time it wasn't Martin because how did you not know you said oh, it's so obvious I mean look I, I, here here's here's my ultimate thought on this movie is that like I already said I think the fucking establishing the characters and stuff is pretty bad the stuff with I, I love let me just say too as as like because I, I understand you really don't like these movies overall i i think fassbender does a really great job in these movies yeah, yeah he's fine he's you he's know a very, um <clears throat> he's a very good spiritual successor to ash and bishop yeah yeah i i just don't want that to go unnoticed real quick just because they're not good movies um but i really like the concept of a deranged ai who has such disdain for humans like i love the scene with um logan marshall green's character uh at the pool table in prometheus and like that like when when david kind of first starts his bullshit is like gets on his shit and whatever like poisons basically the doctor's drink or whatever um I really like the like this like the seething contempt that he has as an android underneath like for this character. Um there's a lot of things I like about this idea of the deranged AI that's like trying to basically create this like ultimate like you know like warrior species to like replace humans and stuff like that. It's not alien though. <laughs> it's it's not like what I would want to see from a continuation and I'm not as I, I really love alien aliens not as much as you do like it's not like this um but i like them a lot um yeah. but that's not what i would want to see out of the continuation of that franchise whatsoever um is is a story about ai even though i think this the story is interesting of a deranged ai doing that it's not what i expected ever of prequels to alien so let me talk to you about my problem with that specifically right Arthur C. Clarke has his rules of, or Isaac Asimov, I, I, Isaac Asimov, yes, created the standard rules of what a robot can do, right? Mm -hmm. The rules of robotics, and they make sense in like a science fiction capacity. Right. Not to say that you can't have bad robots or whatever, but a robot is programmed to do what its programmer wanted it to do, right? Mm -hmm. So for everything, and they do this much better in Prometheus. There should be an absolute cold detachment to David. He should have no emotional investment in anything. And he's got way too emotional investment in everything. Mm -hmm. So it makes him less of an android and more of a human, right? Sure. Even though you know that he's an android character. Right. I don't want to see motherfucking ninja androids fighting each other <laughs> with like Krav Maga or whatever. You know what I mean? That shit is so stupid. It's like there's nothing cool about that. It's not a good action sequence. The only reason you do it, I mean, have some cold detachment. You know, I'm trying to think of a good example of where this is done to really good effect. Like how, you know, how in 2001, right? Like mm -hmm. there's 
cold, calculated detachment there. And Stanley Kubrick invests so much personality in that fucking red light, like glowing right. and receding and glowing like pointedly where like you can feel like anger from it. But it's still like a detached, you know, just a voice, mm -hmm. even if it's like crazy and it's trying to like murder people. And David is way too over the top like you want to get nuts let's get nuts crazy you know what i mean and mm -hmm. like and again like why do they got to be fucking ninjas man like why is everybody i read this in a criticism of the picard series that um did brandy watch that whole series the picard yeah um, yeah, yeah so there's yeah, a scene there's a couple scenes with like these I don't know anything about this. I watched the first season. I did not watch the second, but she said the second's really pretty bad. Yeah. So there's scenes with like ninjas in it, basically, like these assassins that are ninjas. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's got to be goddamn Captain America. You know what I mean? Like just right. fucking shoot at them or try and stab them, but you're not a goddamn ninja. Mm -hmm. Like not everybody should be able to do, you know, kung fu theater or like blocks and kicks and punches and twists and oh like um pop 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 like right whatever like it's dumb like i hate that shit so much and it just takes you out like have them have this really because they have the philosophical discussion about um what is it theseus's ship right is is mm -hmm. the um, philosophical analogy they use yeah great scene great mm -hmm. exchange of dialogue right doesn't need to end in a goddamn ninja fight like have david talk martin into like basically shutting down or something or convince him of the rightness of his programming right you know that's more chilling than anything else like the fucking changeling bait and switch where you know the whole time that it's goddamn david getting on that ship right it's just stupid it's so dumb yeah. and it just it completely ruins and i hate that action sequence at the end and i hate that you know what's going to happen with the fucking alien being on board hmm? And I hate everything. And then there's this fucking random ass goddamn sex scene for no reason with like seven minutes left in the movie. And it's like, why the fuck right now are you showing these two people fuck so you can show an alien like right. shoot his goddamn xenomorph mouth parts yeah. through his face like while you show some boobs, right? Like it's just, yeah. I, I don't even mind seeing like nudity in movies. It just makes no sense. Like have it make sense. Right. I mean, I guess the sense is everybody's all comfortable now, but there's an alien on board. But motherfuckers, have you never seen a movie? Like, how do they not know that there's not an alien going to be on board? They've never seen a movie, no. They've seen many movies because they live in the future and every <laughs> movie is available all the time. Yeah, you think so? No, I think I think there's no movies left anymore. Uh, that's probably true. You Probably you've won and everything's <laughs> just miserable. <laughs> it is. It is. You're I mean, like, I'll never let you look forward to anything again, Frank. Ha ha ha. Have you, ever, have, have you ever seen like Ridley Scott like you know like talk like the dudes like dudes like kind of like me it's like he's always he's always just like hunched over all the time like you know like the arms on a table like just like you know just like being miserable like um yeah that's why your goddamn back hurts all the time you're carrying the fucking weight of the world on your shoulders you miserable turd the weight anyway the, weight of the weight the perceived weight of the world right. <laughs> let's get it right, right. Heavy is the head that eats the crayons, right? So, <laughs> yes. All um, right. yeah. So, um, interesting. Um, interesting so yeah. list. Yeah. 
I don't know. I it's someday someone will save aliens and for me, and it'll be a glorious day. But it wasn't the day that I watched these two movies. So. Right. Yeah. Um, it's weird. I actually, in some ways, overall, I think I, if I take away the idea that it's like an alien prequel, there's aspects of Alien Covenant that personally I like better than prometheus although i think the first 45 to 50 minutes of prometheus is the best of anything in any either of those movies um agreed yeah i agree with that completely um i think prometheus just jumps off a fucking cliff at some point and i just am not here for any of it but um all right well that was um it was interesting um i i enjoyed talking about those finally after thinking about them for like a month thanks for everybody that's downloaded episodes the past couple of days we've had a, a good couple of days after um a slight malfunction with uh podbean like defaulting and limiting the number of episodes that uh that show up in our feed so um that is fixed and uh yeah some people download and <laughs> Jesus, the top five uh, movies of the 1990s, episode five. Jeez, um, us hot sh- shotting early on in the podcast. Um, fucking just gone all out, like top five movies of the 1990s. Um, wait until they get to episode 150 or whatever. They're going to be really disappointed to hear that one of those movies is one of your biggest regrets. Where do they get a load of me, right? You know right. Say? All right. So next week, oh, I'm getting so confused with the altered schedule. 1977, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Top five horror movies in 1977 is next week. And then we will be back uh, in September with an episode talking about Kevin Smith, um, which Frank's going to be super excited about. Um and then we will be talking about, and then we will have a, a return slot episode with about Terminator 2, um, where we'll do a deep dive on Terminator 2, and then the top five horror movies of 1978. Um, and then we'll be moving into our October list, uh, which I think we have a lot of good stuff planned for you. So, um, I agree. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, remember if you have any feedback uh, at all any list ideas for us as we get ready to move into a new year in a few months um, email us at two guys five movies at gmail.com or you can contact us on Instagram Facebook or Twitter um, I got notifications turned on for all of them although Facebook for some reason Frank gets those notifications much sooner than I do I still don't understand why that is but uh all right any final false front i mean i pay attention to facebook i guess i don't know no, 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 no. I, I have alerts turned on on my phone i do too well you have the alerts turned. no sorry um i I have notifications if i sign it if i log into facebook or like you know open facebook i don't have them turned on on my phone so yes well i don't have any more thoughts i'm not i'm not jacked in you're not jacked into the web, man? Into the no, net? I'm not wire tripping like you are. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? 
fucking awful. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Have a good night. Deuces.